Foundation and Bounds Field to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Abby Stone here, Well and Goods VP of Content. And I'm coming to you today with part two as we take a look at our 2023 wellness trends report. So fans of Well and Good might already be aware, ever since Well and Goods launch over a decade ago, we've been compiling our predictions for the wellness trends and advancements that everyone will be buzzing about in the coming year. This project puts all of our writers and editors' skills to work as they call upon their Rolodexes of brands, leaders, and wellness experts to dig into the innovations that will shape our well-being, as well as the greater cultural movements that are driving their rise in popularity. So today, you'll hear from three of our Smarty Pants staffers at Well and Good. We have Rachel Krauss, our fitness writer and reporter, Samantha Leal, our deputy editor, and Erica Sloan, lifestyle editor. And we will be chatting about the upcoming trends that they expect to see in the health space. I'm so excited for you to hear the chat ahead. And for the full report, you can head to wellandgood.com, where there is a completely comprehensive look at all of our trends that we're predicting for 2023. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Good to see you all. Excited to talk about our health trends today. So let's just get right into it. So starting with a fun, light topic, the United States is experiencing a mental health crisis with an increased number of people experiencing issues like anxiety and depression. But what we've seen is that at this number has risen and these people have sought treatment and support, 
the good news is that we've seen a decrease in the amount of stigma associated with these mental health conditions. This uptick in transparency has allowed for innovations in the mental health care space, which is something that Sam, I know you dug into for our trends report this year. So looking ahead to 2023, we're predicting a rise in quote unquote mental fitness. Can you unpack that for us, please? Yeah. So mental fitness is the idea that you can work on your mental health proactively, just like you do your physical body. So just like regular fitness where you can, you know, hire a personal trainer, go to a group class that you pay a one-off fee for, join, you know, a gym like a member with a membership fee, stream pre-recorded workouts, go into a live stream, all of these options will be kind of available to you to improve your mental health. And again, it's really centered around this idea of just showing up for your mental and emotional well-being on a regular basis and in a way that works for you and your schedule. Awesome. And I know that, you know, these tools aren't meant to replace mental health treatments like therapy or medication if that's something that's necessary for you. Can you talk a little bit about how these mental fitness programs complement kind of the more familiar types of mental health treatments? Yeah. So this is definitely about addressing your mental health again as like a proactive part of your daily, weekly, monthly routine. A lot of people seek out solutions when they're in sort of like crisis mode. And this is the idea that you're really kind of just as you would build up your muscles in the gym or in a workout, you're building up your emotional well-being and mental health muscles throughout, again, your day, your month, your week. It's really working in tandem with whatever kind of other therapies you have, whether it's traditional therapy, medication, other coping strategies, and really kind of finding things that work for you. There's this great company called MindBar that we also talk uh, to the founder and feature, and they really work as kind of like this gym membership. And so it's this idea that you get to try out different modalities, different practitioners, different therapists, whomever you want to kind of um, connect with to see kind of what works for you in a way that's less maybe intimidating and less also cost intensive for a lot of people. I'd love to hear more about, you know, some of these other examples you mentioned, Mind Bar, what are some of the other brands and apps and services that are cropping up in this space and and what what do they do? Yeah, so like I said, Mind Bar is really about joining via monthly fee just like a gym membership and having kind of different modalities and mod self-guided modules that really help you discern coping strategies or work with a practitioner in the hopes that if you do enjoy working with that practitioner you might even schedule a one-on-one or continue your relationship in kind of more of an offline situation um, there's also kind of communities that you can um, join one centered around like postpartum one centered around self-care for entrepreneurs. So really kind of more niche down communities that can give you support in this time. 
There's also Wellset, which is a digital holistic studio as they build themselves. They work with like 20 or so different modalities from like journaling to EFT tapping and acupressure to breath work. And they're more of a kind of a live stream situation. So you're really setting aside time and holding space for yourself at a particular time on your calendar to join, again, people, a like-minded community in that moment doing that particular thing. They also have a library and you can like go and watch that that class afterwards in case you can't miss in case you can't make that time but it's really about joining in that time because as we know self-care can sometimes come to the back burner or you know taking care of your mental health can go to the back burner and it's really again about showing up for yourself and then of course there's Wondermine which is Selena Gomez's new brand and it's really about kind of a they build themselves as the world's first ecosystem for your for mental fitness. So it's really again about having different ways of approaching your mental health and taking care of your emotional well-being day to day. So they have content that's going up on their website, but they also have a newsletter, they have a podcast, and I think they have some other things coming down the pike that we'll see later on, which is really exciting. As you talk about this, I think that one of the parts that's so exciting about it for me is that the formats that these mental fitness services take are just like you were saying, they're really familiar to a lot of people. It's really mirroring the fitness industry. So people, you know, feel really comfortable taking a class or following a meditation, you know, using their phone in a way that they're used to which to me makes it feel more accessible and like more people might be willing to tap into their mental health proactively. Whereas, you know, finding a therapist can be famously difficult and intimidating. So I'd love to hear more, Sam, from you. You know, what were your sources saying in terms of do they think that this could help increase accessibility for mental health services for people? And if so, in what other ways? Yeah, totally. So just like you mentioned, I think it gives people a lot of access to a lot of different types of mental care and mental health benefits and also working with different practitioners. You know, people famously, you know, finding a therapist that works for you is a as a hard enough route and so this really gives people the option of working with a lot of different people at once another thing is that you know not everyone works or can work in a session in their 9 to 5 day and a lot of therapists work 9 to 5 so these are things that you can do in your off hours or after work or before work in a way that makes sense for your schedule and your time and your needs And as mentioned before, you know, the cost is really a barrier to entry for a lot of people, Um, you know, working with your insurance should you have it is one thing. If you don't have insurance, it's a whole other thing. So again, giving people just more options to address their mental health in a way that's cost effective and hopefully not super costly is, you know, really really important. And I think definitely um, everyone I've talked to has mentioned that that is one thing that they've definitely kept in mind. I love this. I feel like something that we talk about a lot when we talk about um, mental health and also kind of self-care more broadly is building a toolkit for yourself and, and mm-hmm. knowing 
things and support mechanisms you have at your disposal that you can deploy when you need them. Um, and this to me just feels like a really exciting way of giving people more options that better fit their lifestyle. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, same. I agree. I think it's, you know, a really great moment for mental health and definitely much needed. Awesome. Switching gears a little bit, Erica, for two health trends that you've reported on, you scoured the drugstore shelves, essentially. So first, I want to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is periods. We are predicting that 2023 is going to be a big year for tampons. What new developments should we keep an eye out for? Totally. So I think some of the most exciting developments are really in sustainability, which I'll say first is interesting because we've seen the explosion of menstrual cups, discs, underwear uh, to help solve the problem of sustainability in period care. But it's estimated that anywhere from 70 to 86% of people who menstruate manage their periods with a tampon. So there is this large market for eco improvements in tampons themselves. So this really started uh, a few years back uh, with a couple direct-to-consumer companies like Lola and Cora launching organic cotton tampons, applicator-free tampons to spare the environment some plastic. But now new brands are really pushing the envelope uh, another step forward. So last year we saw Viv launched with pads that were made from bamboo and corn fiber and tampons with sugarcane-derived applicators in August launched with organic tampons, with BPA-free plastic applicators. And coming down the pike, we're seeing even, even more interesting innovations uh, from a company called Vild. Uh, we're going to see a Kelpon, which is a tampon made entirely from seaweed. So that is really, really exciting. But at the same time, there are a handful of tampon innovations in terms of design and function which is also a pretty big deal since the tampon really hasn't changed much since it was invented nearly 100 years ago. So for example, uh, we saw the launch of Day, a company based in the UK with a CBD-coated tampon, and Marlowe, uh, which is based in Canada with a lubricated tampon, both of them designed to make using a tampon more comfortable. And one of the, the more exciting innovations for next year that I'm excited to see is called Sequel, which is from two former college athletes at Stanford who were basically really frustrated with tampon leakage, particularly during sports. So they engineered a tampon that looks like a spiral and can soak up blood basically in a helical fashion to prevent something that they call the red line effect, which if you use a tampon, you might know it to be the line of blood on one side of a tampon and then it's leaking but the tampon isn't actually full. So they're saying that this helical shape will help prevent leakage from tampons. So very exciting stuff. Kelpons and spiral tampons. It's the future. <laughs> As you mentioned, there really hasn't been a ton of innovation in the tampon space, you know, for for a long time now. What do you think and, and what do your sources see as being the driving force behind why is this innovation happening now? Yeah, totally. Uh, you're right. There really hasn't been any for so long. And it's really comes down to stigmatization. So I spoke with Dr. Shara Vostrel, uh, who is a historian and really wrote the book on period care products uh, for menstruators. And 
really, she talked about how the fact that we're finally coming to terms with the normality of a period, we're being able to talk about periods, share our period issues, um, you know, discuss bigger issues like period poverty, all of these conversations bubbling up really makes the case for discussion of the actual products themselves too. So once you're free to talk about periods, you can also question period products and why there aren't more effective or comfortable or functional or sustainable products on the market. So it's really that conversation that is pushing innovation forward. And really an awareness it seems too that, you know, one size fits all or, you know, super regular doesn't fit all. Um, these new innovations really seem to be designed for the wider range of bodies of people that are using tampons. Yeah, 100%. I think that's such a good point that it's really, it can't be one size fits all because the group of people that menstruate is so broad. It includes people of all different shapes, sizes, anatomies, gender identities, value systems, all of the above. And menstrual products, just like any other products on the market, should reflect that diversity. You mentioned period poverty in, in one of your responses earlier. And, and something that I thought was so cool when I was reading your report, Erica, is how a number of these new period product brands are working to make supplies for menstruators more affordable and widely available. So I'd love to hear a little bit from you about what some of these initiatives are. Yeah, totally. It's part of that conversation about how we're talking about periods now. And it, it is really important because two-thirds of the low-income people who menstruate in this country have struggled to afford menstrual products in the past year. So, of course, that has really big implications for how you're able to go to school or go to work or essentially lead your life while you're on your period. So we've seen brands both in tampons and across the period care industry launch donation initiatives in the past year. For example, Finks, uh, the period underwear brand, launched an initiative where they're donating a pair of period underwear to Alliance for Period Supplies and Planned Parenthood for every pair purchased through this year. We've seen the menstrual care brand Real partnered with SOS, which is a network of smart vending machines, and they're pledging to give away 200,000 tampons and pads throughout the next year. Recently, uh, even CVS announced uh, a large initiative to lower the price on all of the CVS-branded menstrual products uh, in an effort to combat the pink tax, which is a term for the additional fee that people who menstruate pay for any product that's branded toward women or sold for women. So it really is happening across the board. And it's something that Dr. Vostrel thinks will happen in an even bigger way in, in 2023. Awesome. Well, moving from the period products aisle over to the cough and cold aisle, the other trend that you reported out focused on over-the-counter drugs. So things like painkillers, antacids, cold and allergy meds, and the way that they are, again, quote unquote, cleaning up their act. To stand on my soapbox for a second here, everyone who works at Well and Good knows that the term clean is a real pain point for me personally and, and one that we avoid in our editorial coverage because it's vague and can attribute a value judgment to something without revealing much actual substantive information. But this term clean is one we're seeing pop up again and again within the pharmaceutical industry in regards to these over-the-counter drugs. 
So Erica, I'd love for you to kick us off telling us a little bit about, you know, what does clean mean when it comes to medication and how is this new class of brands cleaning up their act? Sure. So I totally agree. Clean is this really elusive term in in the wellness industry and it can mean a whole lot of different things. But in terms of these new pharma brands, clean really refers to the nature of all the other ingredients that are included in an over-the-counter pill or capsule or chewable aside from the main active, which is the thing that gives the drug its therapeutic effect. So ibuprofen and Advil, for example. So with traditional over-the-counter products, there's a whole bunch of other fillers called inactive ingredients that are included in a product to give the product its size, its weight, its shape. And new brands are working to strip out these fillers that are artificial or are allergenic uh, that people might not be able to or want to consume. So they're calling that product that doesn't have those fillers and that has potentially natural fillers in their place a, a clean product. This trend really seems to be, you know, to find a parallel with the way that mental fitness, you know, the mental fitness apps are mirroring what we see in the fitness industry this trend in the pharmaceutical industry seems to really be mirroring a trend that we've seen for a long time in the food industry in terms of, you know, kind of stripping back and simplifying ingredients lists. It seems like consumers have gotten really used to looking at labels, understanding what's in their product. And that's something that these new brands are really prioritizing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So the label is a really huge part of this because this movement definitely springs from the same movement in food and beauty where you're looking at a label and you want to understand what the ingredients are. You don't want there to be maybe mystery ingredients, ingredients that you don't feel so great about putting into your body. So that really is at the core of this. So a couple brands that have been working in this space, uh, Genexa is really the brand that's been leading the charge. They launched a couple years ago, but really made a retail splash and and grew their product line significantly over the past year. Uh, These products, which are really across the the common OTC drug aisle, laxatives, allergy medications, cough suppressants, pain relievers, are free from what they call an X list of 39 fillers, sweeteners, dyes, colorants, allergens traditionally used in the same over-the-counter medications. And then instead, they contain just a few natural fillers like vegetable cellulose and rice extracts where they're necessary. This past year, we also saw the launch of Wonder Belly, which is doing something similar in the digestive health space. So their first product is essentially a Tums antacid, but stripped of things like dyes, artificial sweeteners, and talc. We also saw the launch of Kinder Med from Jessica Beals, kids' healthcare company, Kinder Farms, which takes a similar approach to kids' cough, cold, and pain relief products, as well as the launch of a full line of pared-down over-the-counter products from Welly, uh, a personal care brand that are really running the gamut from pain, indigestion, cough, and cold, and that exclude things like talc and parabens as well. So it really is a parallel to that movement in beauty and food that we've seen, even in fashion, uh, to reduce the size of these ingredient lists and when there need to be extra ingredients or items in a product to make them ones that people recognize and feel comfortable with. 
When we first started talking about this trend and you first started digging into it, I know I was really skeptical, right? Like my first reaction was, is this necessary or are we just giving people another thing to kind of worry about or be afraid about? So I know that that's something that you really prioritize in your research, Erica. And I'd love to hear kind of what you've found in terms of, you know, kind of how concerned should we be or, or how important is it to kind of prioritize the the ingredients in these inactive ingredients? Yeah, totally. So I will first say it, it doesn't need to happen that you go throw out all of your Advil or Tylenol. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily cause for immediate alarm, but uh, I will note that there really are these big changes in drug formulations that are happening in this in this clean pharma space, they do bring up this issue of potentially items that you don't want to eat that you're allergic to uh, lurking in over-the-counter products. So as this reality really comes to the forefront, experts in the pharmaceutical space do suspect that companies will move toward more transparency and better quality ingredients uh, going forward. So one, one company that I didn't mention is called Cabinet Health, and they actually prioritized uh, specifically stripping their products from common allergens uh, like gluten and also doing third-party testing at the end of the product manufacturing line, which is pretty novel for the over-the-counter drug industry and is basically a response to a lot of drug recalls that have happened and is making sure that their products certainly do not contain any possible carcinogen or contaminant that may have leaked into there during manufacturing. So that's also an indicator of a potential quality control gap in this industry that new companies like Cabinet Health and like these other companies that I named that are really thinking about where their inactives are coming from are trying to, to fix and to move the dial forward so that when we're thinking about over-the-counter medications, we are able to make choices that are similar to the choices we're making in beauty and food, where we can align every ingredient that we're putting into our body with our values, our interests, with our anatomies, allergies, preferences, all of the above. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. The allergy piece is so interesting for me, and I feel like was one of the key kind of aha moments for me with this trend. Because as you mentioned, there are there can be things like lactose or gluten in pills that people are in, you know, over-the-counter medications that people aren't aware of. Can you tell me a little bit about the brand founder who was inspired by kind of the gluten? You tell the story. You know the story. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're thinking of the gastroenterologist who headed up the MIT study in 2019 that was a pretty big landmark study, I'll say, for inactive ingredients. It looked at the slate of inactive ingredients across all popular drugs, essentially, and found that 93% of them contain a common allergen. So something like soy, lactose, gluten, peanut oil, things like that. And that was a pretty big moment for him. He had a patient at the time who had celiac disease, um, so could not ingest gluten and was prescribed a pretty typical acid reducer called omeprazole at the time that the particular brand that they took had gluten in it and therefore they had a reaction. But it took a really long time to connect those dots. And it was at that point that this gastroenterologist, um, Dr. Giovanni Traverso, uh, decided to conduct this study to figure out what was going on. So a lot of the brands that I named are also working to eliminate allergens from their products. And specifically for Cabinet Health, that was a huge priority for them in creating their products to eliminate all sources of common allergens and also to third-party test their products at the end to really make sure that there's no potential for those allergens to have leached into the, the product during manufacturing. I think what you've hit on here is that this kind of lack of transparency and quality control within the pharmaceutical industry writ large is something that people are increasingly scrutinizing. Um, and what I think is so crucial about these new brands is that they're not just launching kind of their own products and saying, hey, we did it better, but they're also really pushing for change within the industry overall. Totally. hundred percent. And I think we'll see new brands pop up, you know, doing the same thing going forward. Uh, I also think it's interesting that this movement really started with uh, kids medications actually initially and is continuing in that line too with Jessica Beale's brand, Kinder Med, Genexa initially started with kids. So it was something we were thinking about, oh, what am I putting in my kid's body? And now it's it's moving on to adults and thinking, you know, what am I putting in my body as well every day if I'm taking these frequently or even occasionally? Very cool. Rachel, your turn. <laughs> I hear the metaverse is coming for our healthcare. So tell me, what are we talking about when we talk about virtual reality in the health space? Yeah, I think this is a full circle moment for our pod here because we started with the mental health care crisis and we're going to wrap up with that as well. So VR healthcare 
or innovations in VR healthcare has actually been going on for the last 30 years. Um, research has been ongoing in this space across the world. But in the last few years in particular, things have really heated up. And that's due to a few, a few kind of coalescing factors, which, you know, always makes for an interesting moment. The first moment is that we finally have headsets that are able to give us immersive virtual environments that are somewhat accessible. I'm, of course, talking about the Oculus Quest 2. The second is that we have this, this mental health care crisis in our country, as well as crisis in chronic pain management, as well as a crisis on the provider side, which is a shortage of healthcare professionals who are also feeling extreme burnout. So people are looking for new solutions in this space. And that's where kind of VR is coming in, not as a solution, but as you know, one potential piece of the puzzle that can help alleviate this stuff. So you asked, what does these VR treatments look like? Um, it's everything from immersive environments to help people, you know, relieve stress in the moment to helping people learn how to manage pain or anxiety with cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to educating people about their pain when in like a workbook setting to teaching providers how to have more empathy for their patients. It's so interesting. And what you were saying about how this has been a growing area of interest for the past couple decades, but right now it really feels like it's hitting kind of a, a fever point um, or a fever pitch. Can you talk a little bit about the FDA summit that happened this past year? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I agree that it's hitting a fever pitch. Um, the head of the uh, International Virtual Reality Healthcare Association, Bob Fine, told me he feels like this is a golden age for VR and healthcare. But yeah, if anything is going to happen in this space and make it wide stream, it has to go through the FDA to get approval because these are, of course, medical treatments. The FDA held a summit this this past summer where they, you know, looked at everything happening in VR and healthcare and identified the five main areas uh, of potential as as well as that where these places face a little bit of you know, causes for concern, such as like, if we're going to treat a child's ocular condition with VR, what do we think is the effect of having a kid in a VR headset for hours on end? We don't know yet. That's so interesting. And what are, are there other roadblocks that your sources are saying are kind of keeping these technologies from being widely available or widely used? Yeah. So the first roadblock is that you know, we think the Quest 2 is pretty great. Um, if you wear, if you've played a VR game, if you've worn it to, you know, hang out in the metaverse, it's pretty comfortable, but it's not like as seamless as putting on a pair of sunglasses, for example. It's still bulky. It's still, you know, there's issues with blurriness and stuff like that. So the tech has come a long way, but it's still not quite there for us to be able to use this completely seamlessly. The second is circling back to the question of the FDA. The FDA is the first step in making things like this widely accessible because they say, okay, we don't think this is going to have potential to cause harm. Um, go ahead, see if it does any good. 
but the next step is proving that it does good. And that's necessary because we're going to need insurance companies to get on board and say, yes, this is helping people. Probably a little bit more important. Yes, this is reducing our costs and you need large scale studies for that. So we're not quite there yet. And the insurance companies need to get on board. But there's an interesting place where those kind of roadblocks are that for the the insurance roadblock in particular is able to be sidestepped, which is at the Veterans Administration, because that is a place where they are both provider and payer. So they don't have to worry about whether insurance is going to cover this. And believe it or not, the VA, a huge government body, is making some of the most exciting trial programs in VR use. Uh, And that's kind of where we're beginning to see a lot of efficacy um, and exciting um, care potential for patients. So you mentioned the VA. I think that something that could trip people up with this trend a little bit is just getting a really clear idea of what does access look like? How do you use these things? Like, could we, let's get into the nitty gritty here. Like, does your doctor write you a prescription? Do you have to buy the Oculus yourself? Do you do it in a doctor's office? Like, what are we talking about in terms of like actually using these technologies? It's a yes and, um, (laughs) you know, like there are companies that are saying, all right, we're not like insurance coverage of this is a long way off. You know, just like you might buy therapy sessions for yourself, you can order uh, or like just like you might sign up for BetterHelp or Talkspace or something like that. You can order a session with uh, through a few of these companies that are now going direct to consumer. Um, one of them is Flowly. So you'll get a headset or actually it works with a smartphone and then their headset is kind of uses your smartphone and then you'll be able to do the treatment yourself. So you're in an immersive VR environment in your own home using mostly technology you already have. But for some of these treatments, there's one company that has gotten FDA approval Um, as a pain management treatment. So in that case, your doctor would prescribe this for you and then you'd be set up with a headset and you could do it in a doctor's office, you could do it from home. Um, But that is a question that you're bringing up that's like, yeah, not all the kinks have been worked out in this, you know, (laughs) VR to patient pipeline. Totally, totally. And that, that access question is one that has come up with every single one of these trends that we've talked about today, right? Because I think a real barrier is getting these new innovations into the hands of people that really need them and making sure they're not siloed to a wealthy, privileged few. So when I think about health trends in the coming year, What I am personally really excited about is the way that so many of these are reaching communities in need, underserved communities. There's a real focus on accessibility that I think is so necessary in this country. I would love to just wrap up. Rachel, you were in my fitness episode too, so you'll you'll know what this is. Um, but if we could do a lightning round with each one of you, giving me one word or one phrase, when you think about health trends in 2023, like how does it make you feel? 
yeah, if there's like one word to sum it up, I know this is not the easiest thing to do. Let's see. Sam, you want to start? Excited. Yeah, I know it's lightning round, so I won't expand too much, but it's a lot of great innovation for a lot of, like you said, people um, to get access to things that they need. Amazing. Erica? Inspired, I would use. I'm inspired by the innovation here, the tech innovation, the push for understanding what a product is and how it can be the best and serve the consumers that use it as best as possible. Rachel? I'm going to go with broadening. What really makes me excited about healthcare in this year is that we are looking at our existing tools and finding ways that being more upfront about where they've fallen short. And we're looking for ways and new interventions that we haven't turned to before. And I think that Erica and Sam, your trends are, and VR are also speaking to this, you know, filling in the gaps in ways that we might not have expected. Which is so key, right? I feel like if we've learned anything over the past couple of years, it's that there are so many gaps in our healthcare um, and so many people are left feeling sick or lost or confused. And there's so much to look forward to in terms of filling those gaps. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone. I'm leaving feeling inspired, excited, and my horizons are broadened as well. <laughs> On today's show, you heard from me, Abby Stone, in conversation with Rachel Krauss, Samantha Leal, and Erica Sloan. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove, and myself, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring by our friends at Edit Audio, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.